1: Clap clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shure-Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come.
0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. Make sure you have that Odyssey app downloaded. All the episodes first, make sure you leave those five-star reviews. It makes me really happy. Kyle, what up, man? How you doing?
1: Uh, you know, just really approaching the dog days of the offseason <laughs> where you know we got to talk to a couple of the Sixers signees yesterday. There are not a whole lot of moves left to make except for the biggest move that will define their offseason, basically. So, <laughs> Besides that one
0: little move, yeah. <laughs> yeah, aside from that little detail, it's... Uh, kind of boring right now is what i would say well it's funny i feel like we went through with the sixers one of the most emotionally charged playoff runs of the past however many years and then the the anger from it ending the hard and trade demand and it feels like the team the team specifically but especially like the whole league is in a little bit of a holding pattern right now like every morning i wake up And well, this morning I saw the new leads kit drop. So that was a, that was a fun thing to wake up to. But outside of that, I checked the NBA rumors and you're thinking if there's new Lillard, new Harden, new something, and it feels like everything is just in a holding pattern. And while that happens, it's kind of hard to, uh, like, I'm more optimistic about the team, but it's hard to really know, I don't know, like how to feel about them and to know when this is going to be resolved.
1: Well, you know what the funniest thing is is that we've been spending all this time talking about, and I don't even mean just us, I mean collectively talking about Dan yeah. Lillard and James Harden, and then Mark Stein came out with a report yesterday where he said Pascal Siakam might be the guy who moves I before either of them, which is just like really funny because that is kind of sliding under the radar. I mean, there's known discussions that have been had with the Atlanta Hawks and I think it's – I wouldn't say it's, like, blatantly obvious that he's just, like, available, but I, I do think that his name is degree within, like, league circles. So the fact that he might move before these other two guys is just, you know, another – Fun, fun (laughs) wrinkle to this offseason.
0: Well, we'll definitely get into some of the latest uh, with with James Harden. Joel Embiid spoke for, I believe, the first time since the the end of the season, speaking to Rachel Nichols at yet another Michael Rubin party. It feels like from here on out, all the most exciting NBA news is going to come from Michael Rubin party. So (laughs) make sure you send that invite, Michael, when you uh, when you get a chance. But Joel Embiid talked, talked about James Harden. We'll get into that uh, for sure but I would be remiss if we did not start with what has probably been the most overly celebrated kind of signing from the Sixers in a very long time. I mean, there's been trades and such, but man, the 24 hours from when the Utah jazz signed Paul Reed, I guess it was 48 hours to when the Utah jazz signed Paul Reed to offer sheet to when the Sixers matched a lot of nervous Sixers fans out there. A lot of people saying they have to match it. They're not going to a lot of like preemptive doom. Daryl Morey does it. He matches the Paul Reed contract. Three years, I believe 24 million, second, third year only guaranteed uh, if they make it out of the first round, which knock on wood, you would, you would hope is going to happen. So essentially yeah. a three-year deal. Uh, I'll start first with this. I, I think matching the Paul Reed contract was an absolute no-brainer. Um, we talk a lot sometimes about the culture of the Sixers, and maybe that's a weird place to start with Paul Reed. But I do think there is something to keeping the players – you develop your own that come up in your own system and come up within your building. And Paul Reed is that he's a fan favorite. He's become the player he is with the Sixers. He plays an absolutely critical role on the team. I mean, last year in the playoffs, when it beads out against the nets, he steps up, has a really good game, hit some key free throws late. And I think he's a player that's ascending. There might not be many players on the Sixers roster that you can look at and go their best days are ahead of them. Tyrese Maxley would, cert- would certainly qualify Joel Embiid, you can make the argument because he always seems to be improving. But outside of that, I mean, I don't know, Melton, if you really want to stretch. You're going to say
1: a- Melton is probably an example. Yeah, Mel- Melton one of
0: them. Um, but Paul Reed, I think, is is certainly ascending. So good player, important role on the team, uh, good guy to have around, it seems. And the contract is not bad, and it's very tradable after this year if they want to, uh, to move on from him. So I thought it was a no-brainer, and uh, I was happy the Sixers did it
1: yeah it was I'm not gonna get like holier than now and be like, oh, I knew they were matching the whole time. Do there least there was at least some doubt for a while there, I would say. And there was a really funny tweet from uh, who was it Anthony Irwin, who's a Lakers writer and podcaster in Vegas where he was apparently sitting near someone wearing all sixers gear with a laptop out at Summer League. Nice. when Love the it. the reporting happened on Paul Reed's offer sheet and they just slammed their laptop shut and yelled, Fuck. <laughs> I feel <laughs> and like that absolutely... was a lot
0: of sixers fans on Saturday. Afternoon. yeah, so
1: clearly there was a uh, there was something going they, they weren't they were planning for it but maybe not planning for that exact uh, term sheet all that. So there was at least some doubt. I think once it was getting pushed pretty deep into Sunday night, there were two schools of thought it's either they're trying to news dump this harder than anything's ever been news. Yes. Dumped, or they're just fucking with Utah and they just are going to push this as close to midnight as they possibly can. And given that they put out the official release, like immediately after the reporting happened, that seems to me like they were kind of just fucking with the jazz. So I agree with you. I think the hard thing now is less about Paul and more about the roster they have four centers on the roster, which it's the only position where having a bunch of guys is actually harmful to your team because mm-hmm. you have a bunch of guards. Great, you can play multi-guard lineups. You play a bunch of wings. Great, multi-wing lineups, which are all the rage. And now they have to figure out if they're going to play Paul Reed and Mo Bamba as you know, second bigs in lineups with Joel Embiid or maybe even together in the cases of Bamba and Reed. They got to figure out how hard Montrez is going to wave towels on the bench, I think. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I do think you've found a backup center who actually kind of fits everything you would want behind Joel Embiid. He does have some upside. He is currently productive. It's not just like a, oh, he might be good one day. Like, I think you saw real progress from him at the end of last season to the point that. You think he can be a real guy moving forward? It's not a crazy contract. It's Mm-mm. you know seven million and change a year, which I I don't think people often think of it this way. But that's a good contract just for trades. Yep, and I, can I picture know that, it in the trade machine already. I know that salary ag- aggregation has gotten a lot tougher now for the teams at the high end of the the tax bracket because of the stupid new. CBA that I can't seem to start talking about or stop talking about, I should say, but that's at least useful for salary matching and trading him later. He basically can't be traded unless he really wants to be traded for the next year. But after that, that's a guy who there are a number of teams who are at seven and a half million or whatever yeah. would be happy to to trade for him. So I, I think all around a good move it's the one that i think has probably the least downside or complicating factors compared to you know beverly's older bamba has been hurt throughout his career and it's kind of hit or miss on a given night i think paul reed by comparison is just kind of a yeah he's pretty good he's getting better and you can if you don't like having him and his deal next season he's easily movable i think there's pretty minimal downside to this so the four center thing
0: is interesting to me and i agree like of your 15 man roster whatever it is look i i hate centers like it's my least favorite position <laughs> so so you're never you're never gonna that's why you me. were always trying
1: to trade joel for anything exactly that's not nailed yeah down. yeah
0: i hate Jokic. trust me i'm not a center man but i think that for the sixers specifically we have to look at this in my opinion a little bit differently So the four centers on the roster, first of all, we know Joel a is going to probably miss 20 plus games if you know, around that number. And frankly, I would be interested to see this year, how the Sixers manage him with the playoffs more in mind. You do wonder with this Paul Reed contract. Well, guess you don't really wonder, you know, that with this, he is going to be playing major minutes. Like he might be, if not the first guy off the bench, you know, one of the first two guys off the bench, they don't match this deal if they don't have a serious role for him or, serious interest in having him be a big part of the team so when I look at the four centers I go okay you have Joel but then you need a top backup for him so that's your second center and then on nights where Joel's not playing you have to have a backup center as well because frankly it's going to be a fair amount of games in the regular season and let's be honest like Joel misses playoff time so I do think the Sixers are uniquely set up where it's okay to have three like quality centers on your roster the Montrez Harrell thing with the Sixers Prefer or choose to have him on their roster? No, I i don't think they want him on the roster. I think he was going to be there no matter what. I know he opts out and they sign and they re sign him, but I am in the conspiracy theory corner of he was always going to be here and this was like cat purposes and that's why that happened. So I don't view it as the Sixers saying we value like the center position enough to have four. I think they really value the top three. And to your point, Matres Harrell will really only play if the Sixers are up 20 or down 20 with like eight minutes to play. I I don't think they view their roster building from a perspective of Montrez Harrell being part of it. So I think from, from that perspective, bringing Paul Reed back, he's going to play a critical role in the team. You talk to Mo Bamba, maybe that's a good time to get into this, but I I like the idea of the two big lineups, Uh, whether it's, you know, Mo Bamba and Paul Reed, or whether it's Joel Embiid with Mo Bamba that can stretch the floor uh, with shooting, Paul Reed shooting jumpers and, in, in uh, in practice videos, I don't know, you know, we've been down that road with Ben Simmons, but, but he at least looks like he's trying to extend his game. Um, So I'm okay with the four centers. I wouldn't want Montrez, but they don't either. So I'm happy they're not viewing him as a legit option and still building their roster on like how it needs to be built with having three legit centers.
1: Yeah, to be clear, I think if Paul Reed was given the green light, he would certainly shoot more threes. Yes. <laughs> that, him that's and Turk more Smith of, are
0: always down to shoot are the vibe. Yeah, I
1: think because he – look, and I'll say this. I, I think his mechanics are pretty ugly, but he works a lot on his jumper. Like if you see him after practices in the gym, he's almost always with development coaches, assistants on – well, it was on Doc Rivers' staff, so we'll see who he works with with this new – configuration, but I think he's done a ton of work on his shot. And so, you know, maybe we'll see it at some point, but, you know, to your point, Mo Bamba, when we spoke to him on Monday, which is the first time him and Patrick Beverly met with Philadelphia media, he gave a lot of credence to the idea of potentially playing two big lineups. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, with Bamba specifically, he has actually turned into a stretch five, like has a couple of seasons now where he's shot, 38, 39% from three. Now, yeah, now those, it's tough to read too far into that just because if he's going to operate from, I'd say he'd shoot out of the trail spot a lot. And that makes spacing kind of tricky if Joel is operating at the elbows. If you get Joel further down, closer to the basket, I don't think it's as big a deal. But I, I do think Bamba at least is coming in thinking... You know, I'll do whatever I need to do to get on the floor and get some playing time. And he even pointed out yesterday that Nick Nurse, including against the Sixers in the playoffs, has played a lot of double big lineups. Like yeah. when they won the title, one of the things that happened was, you know, they come both teams come into that series, they play their normal lineups. The Sixers then switched their matchups so that Tobias Harris is guarding Marcus Soule and Embiid was guarding Siakam. And that really screwed the Raptors up for a couple games. And then they decided to play two bigs, and they're playing Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka at the same time. Now, the important thing there is that both Gasol and Ibaka are guys who can step out and hit jump shots. And I'm not sure, at least in Reed's case, that's not going to be the case. Maybe you could argue Embiid and Bamba, but then I have more concerns on defense and how Bamba moves in space and things like that. But yeah, I think because of how many centers they have and because those are two of the only moves that they've made during this offseason, I think you at least have to entertain the idea. And I think the good thing about hiring someone like Nick Nurse, even if we find out that, yeah, this is not tenable and they can't play those lineups, I imagine we're going to see it and they're at least going to give it you know, the old college try at some point.
0: Yeah, I I think that's one of the more exciting parts about the Nick Nurse hire too, is just seeing different variations of lineups. I mean, we started this pod, you know, excuse me, sorry. We started this pod halfway through last season, so we didn't see the early iteration of Montrezl Harrell. But Doc was not really willing to try a bunch of different lineups. And I do think you will see more of that from Nick Nurse, especially with these three centers. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
1: yeah so man you got a I tried coughing fit you, going so I, on yeah there. i know i tried
0: to throw it to you so uh so uh, i could get a cough out but um all right so yesterday as you mentioned you did speak to Mobamba. anything else from that that uh other than the two big lineup thing that he mentioned any other takeaways from uh your meeting with Mobamba, what was he like like what's the what's the vibe like for uh, Mobamba?
1: no he he seems like a nice kid you know he uh he came in and he actually asked for, normally this is a PR thing that they ask, but he came in himself and asked for everyone who would ask him a question to just tell them their name. And so he could like start to get to know everybody. Always which a power is,
0: move by the athletes, always a power right. move. Right. It's
1: like just a very small thing, but that's, yeah, it's clearly either he's just a very kind kid or someone has coached him well on how to deal with the media. So, mm-hmm. you know, thumbs up to him on that. Yeah, I think he's got the right attitude coming in here, just saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in where I fit in type stuff. And you know doesn't seem like he – like again, the, the two big stuff. He doesn't seem like he's locked in saying, yeah, I'm, I don't really care about playing center. I think he does have experience playing with other bigs like Wendell Carter Jr. and guys like that in Orlando. And so him and Joel have a previous relationship, and he actually said that – Joel was one of the reasons that he came here. Like Joel gave mm. him a call and said, I think you'd really help us. And so I thought that Including was interesting. Joel, love it. Yeah. I mean, obviously the more the spicier press conference was Pat Beverly, because he's yes. just willing to drop F bombs and curse a little bit. And he's talking about his pottery class that he did and fill at the Bach bar, the Bach building at least yes. this week, which Definitely familiar with the Bach Building. I think Elliot and I have run into each other there. We did. Points in time
0: about two bottles of wine deep, and we did. But yes, I did uh, (laughs) see you and your lovely, I believe, fiance at the time. I don't think you were married. Yeah, that was prior to our
1: our (laughs) wedding. Uh, So yeah, so Beverly talked a lot about getting used to the city. He made an impassioned pitch to James Harden to stick around. Mm -hmm. Also said that Tyrese Maxey doesn't need to get better on defense. And I saw that. Said it in like the funniest possible way that he could. So yeah, I mean, both guys were for, you know, middle of the summer in July, having just signed were good interviews. And I think Beverly will be a fun guy to cover and that he just seems like a guy who will be miserable when they lose and miserable and like a light somebody's ass on fire sort mm-hmm. of way, which can go either way in terms of team harmony,
0: but for your and my purposes, I think will be great. So Patrick Beverly, let's get into more of what he said. You touched on it, but I thought his kind of, his kind of pitch to James Harden, like it really convinced me. And as I've said before, I am easily impressionable with this type of stuff. But when he talked about how, you know, their moms are best friends and it's been, he's been one of James is and his vice versa best friend since he came in the league. And obviously they played together and he talks as if James is going to be here. You remember when he talked about uh, when he spoke with Doc uh, about how he would fit with Philly and he said, you know, you, James, and Joel will be really good together. I just wonder if when Patrick Beverly signed, if he already knows the answer to if James is coming. Like obviously they're close. I'm sure they talked. I don't know if he was asking. He said
1: he- yesterday their moms yeah. are best friends. It's not yeah, even it- just that they're close.
0: Exactly. Right. So I don't know if he said this yesterday, but did he say if he's spoken to James uh, like about the signings?
1: He said something to the effect of put it this way. James knows I'm here. And I was like, right. It's a non answer. It's a way of saying that you probably talk to him, but you're not going to say you're not going to tell
0: us. I just listening to him speak yesterday, knowing he's now here on the team. I mean, I don't think the Montrez thing had anything to do with James, but Montrez is now here. Patrick Beverly is one of James' best friends. I don't know, man. Just listening to Pat, it really feels like James is going to be back. That was my main takeaway from the Beverly thing. Obviously, he seems like a great personality. He's going to be a ton of fun for you. That'll cover him every day ton of fun for me as someone that's on the radio and doing this pod. Like he's going to be awesome. I think he's a good fit, blah, 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 all those things. The main takeaway is he's like putting that hard pitch out to James. And I think you've seen the Sixers start to throw James a lifeline a little bit of, hey, man, like, come on back. We want you.
1: Well, and I've tried to stress this all along. I think it's important to note that all the ire from James's camp has been directed essentially at Maury and the front office. Mm -hmm. And that that's a useful divide for Joel and Nick nurse and like the more important people on the bench and on the floor, because they can, if they're trying to sell James on coming back and it certainly seems based on what Pat's saying, based on what Joel said to Rachel Nichols in Vegas, they're trying to say to him, we have open arms for you that you can come back. This is not, A situation like we saw with Ben, where they said the right things for a little bit, but it was, you could tell that it was phony. It was, it was not an authentic, like, oh, yeah, we really want Ben. Certainly the team did just because trading him from a position of strength would have been better than trading him with him acting as he was and how he was handling himself then. But I think this is genuine. I do think that especially in Joel Embiid's case, he probably recognizes if they trade James Harden, they're not getting a James Harden back, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to get several role players. Maybe if they're lucky, get a flawed star back for him. And so I think someone like Joel, who is coming off an MVP, but then an embarrassing playoff exit, doesn't want to take a step back this year. He doesn't want to come out of a season that ends in severe disappointment and say, yeah, we're going to be like a 46 win team and we might scrape our way out of the first round, but we'll lose to any real contender in the second round. Like that's not how he is wired or wants to be. So I think he's one of the guys leading that charge. And I think everybody else has followed suit so far. And so look, I still have my doubts about James returning. I think they're going to continue to humor offers and, talk to other teams, specifically the Clippers. I know they keep coming up, but again, they're the known interested party. Mm -hmm. But end of the day, they do seem like they're comfortable with him coming back. And these guys continue to send sign after sign to James that that is the case.
0: So I thought the Joel Embiid answer to Rachel Nichols about James Harden was one of the better quotes I've seen Joel had. And we talk about this uh, about Joel at the podium after the playoff loss to the the Celtics. He's up there laughing, making little kind of side jokes about uh, the Giannis quote. He's doing the whole somewhat out of context, obviously. But me and James can win by ourselves. Joel has had poor moments when it comes to answering questions. I mm-hmm. thought his answer to Rachel Nichols was was really good, and for this reason, like let's be honest, the James Harden trade thing is has to be somewhat embarrassing for him and his camp. They floated this idea all season that the Rockets were going to be super interested. Rockets weren't really that interested. They thought they were going to get a massive contract. They ended up essentially having to opt in. Now I know that so he can play for a winner, but it's also because let's be honest, there was not a ton of money out there. Then he demands this trade to try to get to the Clippers. He's not traded by that July 1st deadline where the CBA would have made it easier. And it doesn't seem like teams are lining up and offering big time, incentive late like good packages for James Harden so this whole James Harden thing has been somewhat embarrassing for him I would imagine and also definitely for for his agent what Joel did with that Rachel Nichols Rachel Nichols interview is step up and go hey man we want you back like you're gonna be a friend for life like you're still a great player I know we can win with you he really kind of made it so that James he threw him a lifeline I think that's the best term to use when and I know I've said already, but I think that's the best term. James needs to feel like if he comes back to the Sixers, it's not with his tail tucked between his legs. Like he wants to feel if he comes back, it's because they want me back. They need me back. Yeah, I have other options maybe, but I'm deciding to come here. Joel doing that, I think was very important as a leader of the team. You're right. When, when Ben was gone, he said it, but he didn't really mean it. Like he talked about how James is handling this, like a professional and their friends. I thought it was an extremely... Good slash mature and important answer from Joel to kind of mend the bridge with James Harden and make it so when he does come back, it's excited to come back and not, man, I'm only here because nothing else worked out.
1: Yeah, that and that last part is really important because if – and that's what I was getting at with the Ben thing. Like You could tell that it was performative to a degree with yeah. Ben where they're saying, yeah, we'd, we'd embrace him and have him back, but you could – just from tone and how they were discussing it, it was very clear all parties needed to move on in this instance. I, again, it comes back to Joel wants to win. And I think he genuinely believes and sees James coming back as his best possible path or most realistic possible path to winning this season. And I think it's that simple. So then he gets in front of a microphone and, you know, for whatever faults, Joel has as a player, as a leader, whatever. He is definitely honest. It, it's, yes. it's going to come through in one way or another because he'll he'll start giving a canned answer and then say, but then again, and then just absolutely skewer somebody. So I think it was mature of him to take this approach. I think it's realistic on his end, mm-hmm. looking at the landscape, probably being aware of exactly what the offers are out there for James, even though he he loves to say, I'm not in the front office. I don't run the team. You and I both know that he's at least aware of what's yeah, going he on. he better be involved.
0: He's, <laughs> every other yeah. star in the league is involved. I would hope he's involved.
1: He's definitely aware of what's being floated out there as potential packages for James. And so I, I think he's doing the right thing. I think the players on the team who have spoken about this have all handled this the right way. They're essentially framing it as, look, this is the business and you can make Daryl Morey or Josh Harris, or whoever name one of the people that are high atop the power structure. You make them the bad guy and then open your arms to your teammate and say, look, man, we're here. We want to play with you. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of success. We believe more success can come. And I think that that is definitely the right approach to take on their end.
0: So- I do believe more success will come if he does come back. But a lot of fans don't feel that way. And as a result, they want a big trade. And you texted me this while uh, while you were at the uh, the Super Bowl for you and your wife, as you so joked about. Uh, anthropology, the, 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 yeah, the anthropology outlet pop-up. Uh, anthropology outlet. And I would say to that, if you think that's a Super Bowl, <laughs> you clearly like, tell me you weren't at the Taylor Swift concert without telling me. You know, like that oh, is- Oh, well, fun.
1: listen, that's a whole nother camp. Yeah. That's like the World Cup, I think.
0: Yes, exactly. But, um, there is new reporting, uh, from about Zach Levine and that his name has come up in trade discussions with the, with the Sixers, uh, and Chicago bulls. Um, so I wanted to get your opinion on the reporting. What do you think of the possibility of Zach Levine? I do think it's somewhat noteworthy. The Sixers have not willingly like the Paul Reed one. They didn't get to write that contract. They didn't, they've not willingly handed out money beyond this year. Obviously, Zach Levine has a massive contract that is well beyond this year. What do you think of the uh, the Zach Levine possibilities? Before, we- before you say if you would do it, what do you think of the possibilities and if the Sixers would be interested?
1: Well, so they, and Casey Johnson is the one who reported this recently. Uh, was it Friday, Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. something like that. He and I are both on the same wavelength in the sense that, these were very preliminary discussions. I know we discussed pre-draft that the bulls were shopping basically everybody or saying, what could we get for X, Y, Z. And Levine was different in that they're asking for real stuff for him. This is not like you could get somebody and for taking on Lonzo ball's contract, since his knee is apparently made out of silly putty right. or something, which and is really it doesn't sad. work anymore. Yeah. Um, Levine is different because they still place real value on him. And we can argue about the contract and what have you, but they're asking for you know, multiple picks, maybe a young player. And he does represent, in some ways, the middle ground option, right? Like you might be able to trade James Harden and then you hold on to Tyrese Maxey And still come up with Levine. Like you can move some stuff around. And I wouldn't say you're doing like one for one harden Levine. You're probably adding stuff on top of whatever you'd be getting for Levine. But it's at least closer to that. Mm -hmm. And in that instance, then it's like, all right, that's a real conversation to have. Because he is talented. And I think when he's in a situation where his co-star isn't DeMar DeRozan, who's a good player, but not a guy who's like a a real championship yeah. number one or number two guy that's been proven out over the duration of his career. You put him next to Joel Embiid, you can make the argument, okay, that guy could maybe be number two or maybe like a 2A, 2B with Maxi, where that's one guy's going on a given night, the other guy's going on another night. They're not the best backcourt fit together, I don't think, for various reasons, but You might be able to talk yourself into it. I just don't think that there have been serious discussions between those teams. They definitely have touched base and names were floated at a certain point prior to the draft, but I'm not aware of much since then. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it ever got beyond, Hey, what do you think of Zach? Or like, what do you think of this guy? It was not, Hey, here's the framework for a deal. And no, we don't like that. So I think it's pretty far from any sort of, hey, this is a real trade rumor
0: sort so of so you you mentioned James Harden. Um, I don't see why the Bulls would have much interest in James Harden. They don't seem right. like it'd a- be a
1: clear multi-team.
0: Yeah, situation. yeah. But my question for you is, is there a world where you think they can get him without trading James Harden? Like is Toby Jaden Springer plus like I don't know, Melton and maybe the 2029 20, first or whatever it is. Like, do you think if they trade for Zach Levine, it is going to have to include Harden either being rerouted somewhere and stuff being rerouted to the Bulls, or do the Sixers have enough as constructed to get Zach Levine?
1: I'm not really sure, honestly. I think it would depend on. So, Chicago's posturing is that they're not moving him unless they're getting real stuff back. Mm -hmm. They have, they do have a notoriously cheap owner who was cheap even when they had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and yep. the great dynasty of our childhood, essentially. So the argument that you could get it done without it being part of the hardened potential package would be they might just want to cut the long-term salary and start rebuilding. Now, they did just resign Nikola Vucevic. So, right, which is a
0: weird move if you're a seller. Yeah.
1: yeah, so it, they would have to kind of pivot from where they're at now for me to believe oh yeah they're just going to do a salary dump for picks type trade Mm -hmm. i do think the problem really is that the sixers don't have a lot of movable picks and the only way you're going to get valuable picks is either trading james or trading tyrese i don't think anyone else is probably fetching too much value like maybe you could flip melton for something Mm -hmm but I think that's probably a stretch. And you have to send a big salary out just to bring Levine back. So it's not like you could just trade Melton for a pick and just add Levine to the current roster. So I'd say it's unlikely. I wouldn't say it's impossible because it depends on a ownership group in Chicago that has shown they kind of just don't know what they're doing all the time, I would say. Yes.
0: So one thing I've kind of batted back and forth – in my head whether you know walking around running whatever with the Sixers is and Zach Levine is attached to this as is Lillard probably Lillard another category but are they willing to take on big contracts because everything they've done has been one year Beverly one year Mobamba, one year I mean even last year they gave Montrez that player option um the Paul Reed thing they didn't get to to write that deal they they matched it so it counts but James Harden one year deal they're still holding on to Toby Like, do you think that with Levine, the contract or even with Lillard to an extent is a non-starter or they would acquire it if it was a, you know, if it was a deal they like? Like, do you think they're willing to take money on beyond this year?
1: I think it would have to be the right guy for sure. And I'm not sure that Zach Levine is that guy. Look, I, I think it's always fluid, right? Where we could say big picture, in a broad sense, they don't want to take on lots of long-term money. Mm-hmm. I think all of us would probably agree on that. Where I think we would stray a little too far is if we say they just won't do that at all. I think it's case by case, what would we have to give up? What is What player is returning to us? If they could trade basically nothing and get Zach Levine, I know he's not perfect. But if you're getting him for an expiring contract and Tobias Harris and little else, I think that's something you're at least considering. I think the problem is he's not available for that. Right? right. So I think there are definitely scenarios where, and it doesn't have to be Levine. It could be someone like Zion or one of these other guys who have been maybe like a Siakam who he's on an expire. He's going to be a free agent next off season. So that's a little different. And I don't love, the fit there, but if he's available and he's not going to be traded for like a King's
0: ransom type package, yeah, Nick Nurse guy too.
1: Yeah. Well, yes, but also there's some reporting that those two are not exactly, uh, best so not a Nick, not a Nick at, at the either. end of their tenure. Like they won together and had a lot of success together. And he was the guy up there, but not sure that they're, you know, suited to continue that relationship. But I don't, I don't know that. Cause I don't, I don't know Nick enough, and I don't mm. know Pascal enough, certainly, to say that. The point being, yes, I think they're trying to keep cap space open, but I think they're trying to keep it open because it just gives them more pads. It's not because, hey, they're just only going to wait until next summer. If an opportunity is on the table where a guy's available at a, a cut rate and it's someone they like and someone they think raises their title
0: odds, then, yeah, I think they would absolutely do that. So outside of, of Zach Levine, and I do, I want to get some summer league takes off for you, but, but one thing before, before we wrap it up with the summer league. So now they have, I believe two open roster spots left, uh, not including like the two ways, like two legitimate NBA roster spots left. Um, I think they have the mid-level exception, like the $5 million one and they can sign a minimum guy. I believe is, I believe that's what they're working with financially. So as you look at the current roster, and if you have names, that would be great. But what do you think their biggest needs are? Still, I mean, we talk so much about Lillard and Levine and Toby and Harden. Like those are big picture stuff. But let's say that they do keep mo- mostly this roster. Let's just use that as a as our kind of base. Because obviously, if they trade trade Harden, their needs change. All those things. But if they're if their plan is to run it back with this current team and they have those two roster spots, what do you think their biggest needs are? Because I look at them and I say athleticism. Is probably one like they're still not super athletic, and then maybe more like def- perimeter defenders if they're going to go with Harden Maxi as their duo again. What do you look at as as kind of their main needs?
1: They need wings, just kind of yeah. period. They just do not have enough wings. I mean, if we go back to the whiteboard leak from yes. draft night, if you look at that depth chart, it's basically Daniel House Jr. and. Then who? Like who is an actual wing? Right. Beyond that, because I think Melton is a guard masquerading as a wing. I think Beverly is essentially going to have to masquerade as a wing in multi-guard lineups to some degree. And look, he's he's fine. I I don't love that Pat Bev is going to have to defend, you know, like six seven guys at times this year Mm -hmm. based on where he's at in his career. But he's at least willing to do that. You could argue that Tobias is not really a wing either. He's more of, if you could play him exclusively as a four and then have multiple wings on the floor with him, I think that's better than the situation they're in where he plays a lot with PJ Tucker, who's another guy that he should be almost exclusively a four. So if they could get any kind of productive wing, I think would be a big get for this team. The problem is <laughs> wings are really hard to get. At least yeah. good wings are very hard to get. Because Especially that's, this
0: part of free agency.
1: This part of free agency and also just how the league has shifted in the sense that everybody wants as many wings on the roster as possible while the Sixers collect as many centers as they can. So, I mean, the available options out there are not tremendous. You're looking at people like Kelly Oubre, mm-hmm. TJ Warren, who if TJ Warren was able to stay healthy ever would be interesting as a a secondary scoring option coming off of the bench and gives you something a little different. But that guy, since his injury was out for a long time and was never healthy even before his big injury. Yeah. So now it's just like you can't count on this guy to give you real minutes. Uh, Chester native, Derek Jones Jr. is still out there. I think he sort of trends maybe more towards a front court guy rather than a wing. I don't trust his shot that much, but he will have one shoot. His numbers, at least, are really yeah. He'll have he'll have one dunk a month where you're like, oh my god, that guy's like the greatest (laughs) athlete alive. Yeah, and then the rest of it, he'll just miss threes and. So he's my kind kind of of player,
0: is what you're saying.
1: But that illustrates the point, which is to say. Yeah, there are technically wings out there, but I don't know that there are guys that you're fired up and saying, Yeah, I'm gonna go out and acquire that guy and pay him the mid-level or whatever. So mm-hmm. there, I mean, you could make some low risk bets on some of these guys, but they had to be willing to take the minimum. I think probably Ubre Ubre might get the mid-level or part of the mid-level, but even last season in Charlotte, he was just like a empty calories high volume guy on a terrible team and has not been the greatest fit on teams that are actually trying to win and be competitive so i mean we'll see that the short version of it is they need wings and there aren't any good ones out
0: there right another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
1: From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: Not not ideal. But I I do think one key indicator, too, from the Harden thing will be if they do sign another guy or if they fill both of these roster spots then that'll be an indication they're not like flipping harden for that clippers package of two three guys and a pick like i think uh, they're going to hold those spots open as long as they think a harden trade is realistic and so if between now and the next pod they go out and they do sign kelly oubre or they, or they add even two people they will be able to sit here and go all right like they don't think they need those roster spots obviously you could trade equal back for harden but I think them holding those two roster spots is an indication to your point of like, they're still in a little bit of a holding pattern until they can figure out what is going to happen uh, with Harden. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about and kind of wrap this pot up, um, summer league still going on. I missed the, the big Jaden, Jaden Springer game. I was out for that one, unable to (laughs) see it. And then, and then Springer was out for the last game. So I, I have, no new Springer takes other than what I've seen uh, back in Utah, which was not impressive. You wrote an article on Philly Voice uh, recapping the game. I thought it was a good, good recap of what happened with Springer, but what did you see from Springer that you thought was encouraging prior to him uh, sitting out with the ankle injury?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, look, I still am not a believer in his offensive game, but mm-hmm. I will say the more that he continues to just – put pressure on teams at the rim and get to the free throw line. That at least gives you some hope that it's like, all right, that's a real thing he can do that. He is consistently strong enough at you know, like 20 years old. I think he actually turns 21 yeah, in less like than a week. week. This week. It's, yeah. yeah. It's like the 17th or something like that. So the fact that he at that age is already strong enough that he can bully some guys like that. It's really good. I am worried about the the two-footed leaper thing. I think that has real consequences. I The other thing I was encouraged by in the game on, what was it, Saturday, was that he started that game really poorly, missed a couple threes, had a bad turnover, looked out of sync. And I think it's very easy for all players, but definitely young players, to get discouraged and to allow that to seep into the rest of your game, you have a bad game on offense. You start playing worse on defense. You start not taking shots that you should within the flow of the offense. And I thought Springer stuck with it in a way that was really meaningful. I mean, he came out of halftime. First shot he took is a pull-up three from above the break, which is the longest possible three that you can take. Can that one. He made another one, you know, like a minute or two later. And so I I think – Look, I'm not going to get too worked up about perseverance in Summer League where the talent (laughs) level. When you're a third-year
0: player, too.
1: Yeah, the talent and competition level is fairly low there compared to a normal NBA game. But I do think this is something that's been pretty consistent, at least in Summer League when I've seen him, is that he does not allow bad stretches or bad starts to completely derail him. And you still see the defensive impact all throughout. Like this guy is a very good defensive player and in ways that guards often just aren't. He's a really good man defender, but on top of that, he's making weak side rotations for block shots and making plays in that in that way. And so he's a very interesting defensive prospect. It really is just a matter of. Can this kid be good enough on offense or just make a standstill three consistently in order to stay on the floor? Because he can defend at an NBA level, period. I believe that he can walk into a rotation right now and make, even if it's not a big defensive impact, he'll make some sort of defensive impact on the team. But he has to make shots or he has to be, some level of self creator or none of that is going to matter. So I thought what we saw Saturday was very encouraging. Well,
0: one person who still is making shots and not afraid to take shots, Turk Smith. Uh, (laughs) I saw him last night. Um, Once again, like he's just the dude will shoot from anywhere at any time. It doesn't matter if he's missed four in a row. It does like whatever. If he's made three in a row, you know, he's shooting because he's doing a heat check. Um, I did think one benefit of Jaden Springer being out and they were doing this somewhat anyway is you really got to see Turk Smith like run as the point guard and be the primary yeah. ball um handler. Now I like can't help but look for him passing when he's jump passing since you've brought up since you've brought it up. I thought he had a really nice pass with both his feet on the ground. Uh kind of a couple
1: ball. of them last night. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought it was he was a good some, passing game.
0: Some really good reads. Um, what I just can't decide with him is is like it. Is this just my untrained eye? Because to me, it looks like he's so ready to be a contributor. He can shoot. He's confident. He's a good enough passer. He's very small, like not size-wise, but just weight-wise. He's, he's very undersized. But it just looks like he can be a player on this team. I'm not saying he's going to come in and dominate or anything like that, but he could play eight minutes, ten minutes, like that type of thing. I mean, are, am I crazy? Is this just me not watching enough summer league in the past, or do you see real attributes for him where he could be on the team?
1: Well, I, so I think the problem is that his big flaw is defense, and nobody is really paying attention to defense in summer league because all these guys kind of stink to some degree. Right. There, yeah. there are some good players in here, and, look, these guys are all pros, so they're all high-level college players at the least. But this, it's not like in the NBA where a team will see him on the floor. Like, let's say he's running – the second unit against Boston or somebody Mm -hmm. Jason Tatum is just going to call that guy over whoever he's guarding. He'll call that guy over for a screen every time and just demolish him on switches. And I think what we've seen is at least good fight from him on defense, but he compounds the problems that he has as an on ball guy with he's very erratic off the ball. And that's, that's true for, Lots of young players. It's Mm -hmm. something that they tend to get better at over time. I mean, NBA offenses get more and more complex. So there's a learning curve. There's an adjustment period with the speed of the game and everything you're being asked to do. So maybe as long as he competes hard, maybe he can get there. I just think because he's so small, he's short. Well, not short, short, but like short for an NBA guard in 2023. And he's really skinny. He's going to die on screens. It's going to be tough for him to recover and make plays. And then the off-ball stuff on top of that. I just think that's the part that I think gave people pause when they were considering whether to draft him or not. And it's something you're not really going to see in Summer League because there's not enough talent on hand to punish him for it. Mm -hmm. And they're more focused on, hey, let's run our stuff. We'll do what we do. And it's not trying to win games so much as see, all right, is this guy an NBA player or can we roster this guy or whatever it
0: is? I was debating this watching the game last night. Do you think the Sixers summer league team would win the March madness tournament? Oh yeah. I, right? I, I think so too.
1: Yeah. I think basically any half decent summer league team would pretty would much run destroy. Thoroughly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think like a, they're more talented, but also like some of these guys, I mean, Jaden Springer's in his third year, like, yeah, I think it it uh. It, right, it you think about close. it.
1: It's like even when people were like, "Well, the tanking Sixers wouldn't beat Kentucky or whoever it was." It's like, dude, every guy on this team <laughs> was like the best player on a good college team yes. in college. It's like, you know, Jeremy Grant at the time was very good at Syracuse, or like then Jaleel Okafor mm. <laughs> literally won the national title as the best player. He was on a, trash in like, the NBA, but that's that's how it is, man. These guys, it's very hard to make NBA rosters for the average basketball player. So yes. yeah, I, I think most summer league teams would walk the NCAA tournament. The only way that it would go the other way. is just one game samples are what they are. We see it with the NFL playoffs. Like the best team does not always win. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's guy got hot, team got hot and they just go on a run.
0: But you average also wonder, tournament- like, some continuity perspective, but I agree. I think the Sixers would, would demolish and just, just walk through the March Madness tournament. So before we wrap this up, um any other thoughts from summer league, we've now seen them for, I believe five games, six games. Um, I think I've seen on...
1: enough at this point. You've seen Those enough. My... All right. <laughs> How many more do they
0: have? Like two or three? They have more? a couple I more. They
1: have down. at least, I think they have one or two more and then it gets to like the tournament. It's why you root for them to have like promising players and lose so that you don't have to cover the extra
0: more games Oh, we're covering I, the final or whatever. <laughs> well, look, uh, you know, a, a title would be nice. We're going to talk about the NBA play in tournament. Um, I guess real quick, I'll get my takeoff on that. Like not to play in tournament, the NBA midseason tournament. I love it. And I think it's an absolute guarantee the Sixers are going to win the NBA in season tournament. I don't even think it's a question. Like it is the perfect thing for them to win, where everybody will say, "Doesn't matter, like who cares?" Blah blah blah. Do it when it counts. But then on the flip side, you can go, "Hey, this is proof that they can uh, they can do something." The teams they got matched with, I think, are very advantageous at least early on. So I'm all in. I think the trophy is kind of silly, but whatever. It'll be really funny when the Sixers win it and like put it up in their practice facility. I think it'll be fun. I love it. I'm all in on in-season tournament.
1: So not opposed to it as a general concept. I can't stand how they've implemented it, where they're like, hey, let's try to replicate European soccer, but completely ignore what they do with the schedule in order to yep. make the tournament games meaningful. Just like, hey, here are a bunch of regular season games that still count for regular season, but also their NBA in-season tournament. It's just the dumbest. I like the idea of like Final Four in Vegas and it's a big event and all that, but not being willing to chop games off for this is just like, goes back to the complaint I always have about the schedule. I just can't stand it.
0: It'll be interesting to see if stars like rest during this. You know, like how the NBA will feel if guys like sit it out or whatever. Like we see load management all the time. Get like a double
1: fine for sitting one of the. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I think the NBA
0: will not be will not be playing around with players playing in this uh, this tournament. But it's all right. When when they win it, we're doing the celebratory, you know, all-caps post-game emergency pod when when Impede's lifting the trophy. I do wonder if the team that wins it, do you think they'll actually celebrate or will it be viewed as embarrassing? I
1: mean, there's not going to be a parade. It'll, no, but I'm saying, like, work. there
0: will be handed a trophy. Like, do you think they're going to, like, hold it up and, like, do all these Yeah, things? I
1: don't know how much they're going to react to it, but I do think, look, these, it's... It's still competitive basketball. So yes. I think there'll be a level of some excitement. It's certainly not
0: people showing up at the airport to cheer for them. No. Well, excitement. maybe I'll have a parade right next to the Embiid MVP parade. We'll just do them all at the same time for the uh, the things that feel like a championship. So, all right. Until next time, there will be more Summer League. Hopefully some new rumors. Hopefully something going on here. Uh, with this team but until then uh, download the Odyssey app make sure you have it get all those episodes first and uh, Kyle I will talk to you next time talk to you guys soon